Acts chapter 9, verses 31 through 43. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then, calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon a tanner. Um, one of my favorite movies of all time is it's an old 80s comedy called The Dream Team. If you've never seen it, it is worth the watch, okay? And, and The Dream Team has several name actors, including Michael Keaton, Peter Boyle, who is, you know, the dad from Everybody Loves Raymond, uh, has Christopher Lloyd, who is Doc from uh, the Back to the Future series, and there's some other key ca- actors in it. But the basic idea of the story is that these these four men all are struggling with very serious mental health issues, and they are actually institutionalized, and they are in a group uh, as these, you know, a, a, a mental health group with their doctor. And their doctor decides to take them on a field trip to go see a Yankees baseball game together, which seems like these guys are a little bit crazy. It seems crazy to take them, but they, they figure out it's going to be okay. But, but a whole bunch of stuff happens that includes their doctor getting kidnapped. And it turns into this fiasco because these four guys who don't know how to function in the wards of a hospital now have to figure out how to function in New York City. But Peter Boyle's character is the one that gets me because he has this Jesus complex. He is uh, like he gets into worship and praise, but then he'll get all into stuff and he'll turn like in his mind. He thinks he is the Messiah, the personification of Jesus. And he's kind of the, the crazy guy doing that. And there's several scenes with him that just turn kind of bizarre and funny, and um, they're not making fun of Jesus, they are making fun of this guy, but there's this one scene that catches me every time, and I just have to laugh at it when I see it, because they're walking through this hospital trying to find their doctor, who they believe is now in the hospital, and they're walking down the hallway, and, and the way the shot happens is perfect, because they're catching the guys walking towards the camera. And as they're walking towards the camera, there's this guy who's laying on this gurney in the hospital, right? He's laying, just laying flat on this gurney, this older gentleman, he's got a beard, he's laying there. And Peter Boyle walks over to him and lays his hands on him and says, you are healed, my son. 
rise up and walk. And then he just keeps walking with his guys toward the camera. And he does not see what's going on behind him, neither do his friends. We get to see it. Because what happens is the guy sits up in his bed, puts his feet down on the ground, and tries to stand up and does an immediate face plant. And it's just like, wow, that's awkward and hilarious, you know. Uh, sometimes we, we hear these healing stories, and we're like, come on, really? It, did this really happen? And, and it's, it becomes a, a very interesting thing because we would love to be here, right? Would you not love to be at these two events? Uh, this guy named Aeneas who's been paralyzed for eight years. The town knows who the guy is, and he is healed and gets up and walks. Uh, th- this woman named Tabitha, uh, by the way, Tabitha, also known as Dorcas, means gazelle. This, this, this woman who has this name who uh, was a gazelle and meant more than that. She was a leader and a servant of the poor and broken, especially caring for widows in this early Christian church. And she gets ill and she passes away. And, and Peter shows up and heals her. We, we'd like to be at those moments, wouldn't we? But then we read them and we wrestle with them. What do we do with this? And, and kind of that's what I want to do today. Is, is the God of the, uh, the Bible still around today? And does God still heal? And how do we deal with this? This is not just an anomaly in the Bible. The Bible actually presents God as more than just the one who heals. The Bible tells us that literally his name is that he is the healer. In fact, in Exodus chapter 15, God is speaking through Moses to the people of God. He says, there the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commands and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. And listen to this, for I am the Lord, your healer. I am Jehovah, the healer. That's what what it says there. I am Yahweh, the healer. That God gives himself a name for his people that says, this is not just what I do. This is who I am. I am your healer. We get to the New Testament, and 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 tells us this, that he himself, meaning Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And that's an interesting text. What do we do with that? And, and, and I'll talk a little more about this in a minute. How do we interact with this where we have an exodus, God, your healer. I'm not going to put these diseases on you. The New Testament, where the author, Peter, who is the person we're talking about this morning, who also wrote letters to, to these churches. And in one of these letters, he quotes the prophet Isaiah, who wrote about Jesus about 700 years earlier. And quoting from Isaiah 53, he tells us that by the wounds of Jesus, we are healed. Now, does this mean that God's healing has ended or that it's only spiritual or that it, it was for a time? Or does it mean that we all should be healed? And if we're not, there's a problem. How do we interact with this? And then we read these stories, it becomes very real. See, so here's what's going on in Acts. We're, we're reading and studying and, and working through preaching sermons on a story that is told in this amazing book that is called Acts. I was driving uh, this week in this like rural area, and I literally drove by, are you ready for this church? The Book of Acts Pentecostal Church. 
I was like, all right, there you go. Book of Acts, we're kind of the books of, book of Acts, maybe not quite so Pentecostal, but we're kind of the book of Acts church right now. We started as Genesis church now, and now we're the Acts church, right? We're in this book, and, and we're preaching right through it because we believe that going straight through Scripture will help us deal with issues and really see God in His wholeness and beauty. And much of the Bible is a story, including this book. But the story has meaning for us. It's not just telling us ancient tales. It's helping us understand who we are in the present. And the book of Acts is about the spread of the gospel, the growth of the church, the work of God in the world. That this man, Jesus, died and rose again. He died in our place for our sin. And that message is saving and rescuing. And no matter who you are or where you're from, that, that through Jesus, you can have your life restored and fully healed today. But does that healing reach to things like physical ailments and, and mental, emotional health struggles and our pains that are in our knees and in our backs? Like, how far does this reach and what do we do with this? And, and so what happens in the story, in verse 31, we are told that the church in Judea and Samaria now has peace. Now, that's important because previously in Acts, we had this guy named Saul who broke out of persecution, who was hunting down and killing and arresting Christians. And God, and, and I, I think one of the great sense of humor moments, when you see this, like I talked last week about how God grabbed Moses and maybe uh, Gabriel the angel and said, hey, check this out. See that guy who's killing all my people? Watch what I'm gonna do. And, and Jesus steps right into his face confronts him with a bright light, a voice from heaven, and instead of bringing, like, hailing down judgment, which you kind of, like, when you know what Saul's doing, that's kind of what you hope for him, Jesus instead, instead rescues his greatest enemy, and he comes to become a follower of Jesus. And because of that, now the church of Judea and Samaria are under peace rather than being under the threat at this moment of persecution. Later in the story, we'll be back to people in this area are suffering and struggling. And, but at this moment, they have peace, and the gospel is multiplying in the region. Outside of Jerusalem now, it's spreading to Judea and Samaria. And the book of Acts started by telling us that, that the, the witnesses of Jesus would be witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And if you've been with us the whole time, I told you that that was actually the outline of the book. And so we spent the first, like, eight chapters in the witness in Jerusalem. These few chapters here are about the witness of Jesus in Judea and Samaria. And that's what's going on is the gospel spreading in this period of peace. And so what happens is we have this glimpse of this guy named Saul, aka the apostle Paul. We'll get back to him much later, but right now what the story does is it shifts back to this other main character who is Peter, who's kind of the spokesperson, the main the main leader of the apostles, the 12 men who followed Jesus and who are now proclaiming Christ in the world. And Peter on this journey is moving here and there. What it means is he's traveling through Judea and Samaria. He will end up on the coast. This passage we have is actually a transition to our passage next week, which is one of the pivotal moments in all of human history and in the history of the Bible. But right now he's just journeying, but on this journey he has these two crazy stories where he ends up with these two people. First of all, there's this guy named Aeneas. Now, this is not the guy who used to play for the Rams, just so you know. Those of you who are old Rams fans, sorry about that. All right, uh, Aeneas, boy, my jokes fall on you guys like lead balloons anymore. You guys used to laugh at my stuff. You've become this boring crowd of people. What's wrong with you people? 
Like, I used to be funny. And I'm not anymore, and it's not my fault. It's y'all. I'm just telling you, okay? All right, anyway, uh, off of that. Uh, uh, so, so this guy named Aeneas, and, and uh, Peter just picks him, and it's just kind of random. Now, one of the things is we're even wrestling with this. You got to look at a town like this and go, is Aeneas the only sick guy in town? No. But for some reason, the Spirit leads Peter to go to Aeneas. There's also hints from the language, because in the next text, we are made clear that Tabitha is a disciple. That language is not made about Aeneas, meaning that we probably should understand that this man is not a follower of Jesus yet. But for some random reason, we hear, see Peter going to this person. We're not told a whole lot about why. Why did he pick him? Did he like hang out in the guy's house? Did they share a meal? He saw this guy. We don't know, but he goes to Aeneas. What we do know is he has been paralyzed, unable to get off of his bed for eight years. So, so see this. He's on this pallet, this, 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 this bedroll. Do not think select comfort. He's been laying on his bed, unable to do anything for himself for eight years. He is receiving his meals on this pallet, laying there, unable to move. He is not getting up and, like, everything about his life is there. It's probably a hot mess. I don't know if people helped him figure out how to go to the bathroom and those sort of things, but he's, he's been confined to this bed. <clears throat> and then Peter walks up and says, the, Jesus heals you. And I notice that Peter is not going, I heal you. He, he is kidding himself out of the way and goes, and he is, Jesus has decided to heal you. And then he gives a verse for every parent. So teenagers, hear this. There's a verse in the Bible for you. Get up and make your bed. All right? So we were like, just had nightmares of your mother. Why make my bed? I'm going to get right back in it later today. <laughs> That's what I get amens for. Man, we need some work here. So, so he says, uh, get a bigger bed. But something's going on here that is actually, like there's nothing in the Bible that is random. There's nothing in the Bible that is minimal. Listen, what people would do is they would get up and make their bed. It wasn't like pulling the sheets up and tucking them in and getting them real tight and getting the, the pillows right in the right place. And then, you know, if you're like my house, getting the extra pillows that are frou-frou and colorful and, you know, making sure. When he says get up and make your bed, what they would do is they would fold their bed over, fold it over again, and it became the place where they sat to eat their meals. He has just given Aeneas permission to come back to the table instead of having somebody come serve him where he is helpless. The get up and make your bed is not just the sweet little platitude. He's saying, come join the meal. This is the invitation of the gospel to all of us. Come join the feast that Christ has provided. And Aeneas is healed. He gets up and walk, and we're told in the text that, man, now these people in this city, which is about eight miles from the coast on this road between Jerusalem and Joppa, which we'll get to in a minute, these people living in this city, by the way, if, if, if you want to look at it on a map today, all you got to do is search for the uh, Israeli National Airport. It is literally on this, where this ancient city was. And, and so <clears throat> this man is up walking, and the people in the town go, wow. This Jesus thing, like this is not a contrived, goofy healing that happened by some random dude. 
and nobody knows if it's true or not. This is the guy that everybody knew who'd been paralyzed for eight years. He's walking around in the city. And, and then the story tells us that this woman named Tabitha gets ill and passes away. And, and when she passes away, what happens is she's a, she's a follower of Jesus, but man, she is like the servant heart. And, and what we really get from the text is that she is kind of the front line of serving these widows who live in the town, these Christian followers of Jesus who've lost their husband, who are left to being destitute. And one of the things we see in the story is that when Peter shows up in the room, I'll come back to talk about how he gets there in a minute, but when they shows up in the room, these women have taken these cloaks, these clothes, and laid them at her feet. What's going on? This woman is apparently a seamstress, knows how to make clothes, and she has dedicated her life to making clothing for these widows who are destitute and have nothing to wear, and she has put clothes on her back. She's put, probably put food on their table. She's probably used her business to care for them. And the weight of this person who is primary and caring is gone. So they bring her up and it says they wash her body in the upper room. This is the living quarters in most of these houses would be this upper room area. This is not normal just to wash the body. Normally you get the body clean and get it prepared for burial very quick. But they choose not to do this. They choose to send a couple guys the eight miles uh, uh, for, a, for a, a jog to go find Peter because they know he's in this town neighboring next to him and bring him to the seaport that is Joppa where he will come and they bring Peter back. And now it's been hours and you see this beautiful moment when he walks in and, and Peter sees these women who are, like I said, widowed and, and, and poor and the church is around mourning and weeping and he kind of puts them out of the room for a minute, walks in, feels the presence of the spirit and grabs her by the hand and says, sweet Tabitha, just let's get up. And, and, and she rises and comes out, and the church is encouraged, and the people believe, and the city people come to faith in Jesus. It's, it's just two beautiful stories where, where Luke, the author, is trying to help us understand that Peter is getting from Jerusalem to Joppa, but he didn't just randomly travel. The Lord was using him to do signs and wonders and miracles on the way. When, when I was... I think I was about 11 or 12 years old. My grandpa, who had smoked his whole life, got lung cancer. And I loved the dude. You know, he, he was meaningful for me. He, he was the grandpa who would pull me up on, on my, his lap and tickle me and play with me and tell me all, he had all these goofy rhymes where he would play with my face and grab my ears and all this sort of stuff. And he was dying and we prayed and prayed and prayed for healing. And my grandpa did not get healed. I'm not here to tell you this morning that miraculously he got up out of his bed and didn't have cancer. He, he died from his lung cancer, and I went to his funeral and remember in that little town in northwest Arkansas being by his graveside and for the first time going, I see this in the Bible, where is it? God, do, do you not do this anymore? Is it over? And as we wrestle with these stories, what do we do with them does God still 
heal? And should we cry out and expect it, or should we just be okay with the fact that it, this stuff doesn't happen anymore? What do we do with these stories? How do we interact with them? And so what I want to do is, is for the next few minutes, I want to kind of make some theological arguments, but I'll just let you know right up front that my firm answer is absolutely God still heals people both spiritually, but I believe that we should be crying out and praying for the physical healing of people and then trusting the Lord with the outcome. That's what I believe. That's like, I just told you my conclusion. There it is, okay? So if you decide to check out, you need to check your phone, I've already told you everything I'm gonna say, but I wanna get us there by, by unpacking these stories and some theology to say, what does this mean and how do we do this? And so we gotta deal with healing in the Bible and what that means for us today and how does God still heal? And so let me explain what is happening even in the scriptures when people are healed, when Jesus is healing, when Peter does these healings, like Jesus just heals all kinds of people. What is going on? And there are two forces, one working from the beginning of time, one working from the end of time that show up in a moment that all of these healings are about. So, so even today when this happens, when the Lord does heal people physically, uh, he does heal us from our, our mental and social and emotional, when he does heal from addictions and, and all these sorts of things, these two forces are still in play. And the first force is this, that the kingdom is being displayed in Christ's healing here in the present era. The kingdom is displayed as Jesus shows authority over the fallen world in the present. In other words, what we have is the king looking at the darkness of our sinfulness and going, today, I'm going to push that back for a minute. I'm, I'm going to take the, the brokenness that is part of a person's life that is there because we live in a fallen world. Sickness, disease, our brokenness, our hurting knees and aching backs are not the way the world was supposed to be. You get that? It is here because our forefathers, Adam and Eve, made a decision that severed the relationship between God and humanity and left the world broken. And I make that same decision to sin every day and therefore I suffer the consequences of my own sin and I live in a world where my experience is in a broken world and the effects of that fall show up in our bodies. And for those of you who are young who think it's never gonna happen to you, just hold on. It hurts. <laughs> it hurts. And, 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 and as I watch both my own life, I watch my, the lives of my parents and my in-law, my father-in-law. It gets harder. And Jesus shows up in moments and says, on this day, I'm going to push that back a little bit to show that I am truly the king over that mess. And so that's from the, etern from, from the past, the kingdom speaking to the past. These healings are also moments where the kingdom is put on display as G Jesus gives us images of our future restoration. So here's Tabitha who gets resurrected. Now, little hint, there is not a 2,000-year-old woman named Tabitha living in Joppa that you can go visit. This sweet woman who was such a blessing to her church was raised again. I kind of feel sorry for some of these people. They, they end up dying twice, which we were like, woo, and they're like, uh, like I'm, I'm thinking Lazarus is coming out of the grave going, wait, I was with 
God and glory. Why, why am I back here, right? But there's no interview of, what do you think about this if any of these people got raised again? We see the blessing to the people around them. And I'm not saying it wasn't a blessing for them. I'm just saying that, that what happens is there is a picture of resurrection in Tabitha, just a little picture of what happens at the end for us. And, and healing of bodies are a reminder that eventually all of our bodies, those of us who know Jesus, we will all be ultimately healed, right? And, and so you have... Jesus as king stepping in going, I'm going to push back the fall and I'm going to show you what the final victory looks like just for a moment in the scriptures. That's what's going on every time there's a healing, okay? But they're never permanent and final because that's not for this day, that's for a future day. And so, so does Jesus still heal? Well, there's all kinds of ways people interact with this. The skeptic looks at this and goes, I just think even the stories in the Bible are false. And there's all kinds of people around, some who even teach in seminaries, who will say, listen, we got to quit believing in the miraculous of the Bible. We just got to believe that none of this stuff happens, that, that God doesn't really step in and intervene in the affairs of people, that, that those are just fairy tales that are made up by people who are trying to make the heroes of the Bible bigger than life. And I will tell you that these stories themselves, these two stories, refute that claim. These are not crazy people who are making up a story. These are two people that were known in a community told in, in their lifetimes, the story is being told to us. Luke wrote in the lifetimes of these people. And if it wasn't true, it could have been refuted. The skeptical view is not sufficient for even the proof of Scripture that these things really happen. But the spiritualists, and this is the people I see in all kinds of places in, in, in uh, modern Christianity, is that they turn all these stories into nothing but spiritual platitudes. Oh, yes, the, the Bible says that by his stripes we are healed, but all that really means is that we are healed spiritually. That if you trust in Jesus, there is spiritual healing. But here's the problem with that, that that is really, all right, I'm going to make a weird argument here. That is an argument that is more Plato than Bible. Plato believed there was a difference between our spirit and our body, that salvation is the redemption of our soul to go to heaven so our, this ugly body can go to be with the ground. That's not the biblical. You are an integrated whole. You are body, soul, spirit like one person. Salvation is not just the spiritual part of you being redeemed. Salvation is the restoration and redemption of all of you. And the complexity and beauty of the, the, the whole of your humanity is part of the beauty of the story of the Bible and part of what God is doing. And so when it says, by your stripes you are healed, it has to be more, mean more than just spiritual healing. Something else is going on there. When God looks at the Egyptian or at the Israelites and says, look, I'm going to hold back these diseases on you to prove that I'm your healer, there's more here. And the spiritualist will just turn it into nothing more than a spiritual thing. We'll play, pray for your spiritual, but we don't believe that God still heals people in the present. And I just, there is no scriptural proof of that. In fact, what we see is this, this constancy both in the scriptures and in church history of the fact that God still does these sorts of things. And, and there are stories in our present world of God doing crazy, crazy healings and miracles. But then you end up with a supernaturalist who, who turns God into a genie, that that's all it's about. That, that if you are not, like if you have a physical ailment, the problem is not God, it's you. You don't have enough faith. And, and what we do is we see in Scripture there are people that God doesn't heal. There, there's all kinds of them. Paul, the apostle, heals a whole bunch of people and God chooses not to heal him. 
He is in need and has this person who is with him, and God chooses not to heal that person who is with him, even though they prayed. There are people in the Bible that do not get healed. And so when we talk about physical healing, we can't land in the camp that says it's automatic. God is a genie. I rub the bottle. He shows up and goes, heal me. Boom. It's got to happen. There is more in play here. And so we have to wrestle with this and end up with the scriptures that point us to a God who always has and still heals but at the end, we are to trust him no matter how that healing shows up. And so hear me. I am shouting loud and clear. This is the question. Does God still heal physically, emotionally, spiritually? Does God still heal people? And I'm shouting from the top of my lungs, yes. But what I want to do is talk about how the miracle of healing comes. So, so for everybody in here who trusts in Jesus, hear me. I'm telling you that the healing of your physical body is part of God's redemptive purpose. And he is going to miraculously heal you. The question is, how does he do that? And I think there are three key ways. And these even show up somewhat in our text, show up in all of scripture, the miracle of healing. And the first of all I'm going to talk about is the miracle of healing through supernatural means. We can call this miracle. We could call this, the Bible talks about signs, wonders, and miracles ties us to healings. We see the New Testament church in the book of Acts chapter 4 praying that God would accompany the preaching of the gospel with signs, wonders, and miracles, with healings and things like this. And what we see in Acts is that God does this. And that there are times and places where God chooses to step into a moment and chooses to do a miracle of healing. And I do not find in scripture where that has ended. But we need to understand that there are purposes for these miracles and there is a reason to be careful with this. And so, as God is like, here comes Aeneas. And Peter says, Jesus heals you. Boom, there it is. He's up walking, folding his bed, sitting at the table. Here's Tabitha. She's dead. And Peter grabs her by the hand and says, rise up and walk. What are the purposes that God does this? And there are four key purposes for these sorts of miracles in the Bible. And my conclusion, so I'm going to get that. I just keep foreshadowing so you know where I'm going. My conclusion is that three of those reasons still exist. One does not. And we need to understand this. So let me give you the first reason why God does miracles in the Bible. Why does our miracles part of this plan? The first reason is to authenticate the messenger and the message who comes with the very word of God to authenticate the messenger and the message who comes with the very word of God. So here's what we find in the Bible. That as we read the Bible, there are clusters of miracles. There are seasons where you'll have a few healings and a few miracles, and then all of a sudden, somebody will show up, and around that person or that group of people, there will be clusters of crazy miracles. The first time we see this is in the ministry of Moses. Moses shows up, he go, ends up at the burning bush. God gives him a staff. That staff is turning into a snake. That staff is turning river into blood. And that staff is used to heal people. That staff is to, used to bring water from a rock. There are all kinds of miracles. It is this Moses that God speaks through to the people and says, I'm going to heal your diseases. And there are all these crazy miracles that surround Moses. Why is there a cluster of miracles around Moses? And the reason the main reason at this point is because Moses is more than just somebody who shows up to bless his people. He is the one that God has raised up and sent to be the very container of the voice and the word of God to his people. Now, this is important. He is a fallen human being who is broken. 
But God, to get his message, to make him, the perfect God of the universe wants to make himself known to you and me. He doesn't want us guessing and wondering who God is. And so the way he did this is by inspiring human beings who were flawed and broken, putting his very word in their mouth and on their pens. And as they spoke and they wrote, they were just not writing their own words about God. They were giving the people of God the very word of God. Does that make sense? The conclusion of that is the Bible. And, but you have these people. So you have Moses who comes with the Ten Commandments, the very word of God. He gives us the first five books of the Bible. Well, how do we know that Moses is really from God? And God accompanies his miracles with signs and wonders. And then there's a period where there's some, some moments in the Judges and the book of Joshua. But then all of a sudden, Elisha and Elijah show up, the first two major prophets in the Old Testament. And all of a sudden, their ministry, the explosion of miracles around them. Why? Because God has raised up prophets for the people who become the container of the Word of God. And then there is silence and, and kind of like, and there's stories, but it's not like this cluster until... This man from Galilee is baptized in the Jordan River, and Jesus steps on a scene. And now we have another, like, the biggest, the pinnacle of this cluster, right? And Jesus doesn't just come with the Word of God. He is the Word of God. Now, now get this. And then we have Peter and the apostles and Paul who are preaching with the authority of Jesus and writing with the authority of Jesus. But here's the big point I'm trying to make to you, that that is a big reason that miracles happen in the Bible. But what happens is they gave us the Bible. And there are passages that make this very clear, that God's revelation of himself on that level ended with the person of Jesus and the witness of Jesus. We have the Bible, and the Bible is complete. The authoritative word of God is for us. And we don't need a miracle to authenticate the Bible. The Bible is miraculous in and of itself. It is the word of God. And so I don't, like, I don't need to do a sign and wonder to prove to you that I'm speaking on behalf of God. The way you know I'm speaking on behalf of God is that you hear what I say, you look down at the text of scripture, you read it and go, he said what he said was right in line. It pointed us to Jesus from the scriptures. My message is not authenticated because I do signs and wonders. My message is authenticated because I am getting it from the scriptures, period. And in this day and age, anybody who stands up and says, come to my healing crusade, we're going to lay hands on people, they're going to fall over, and my miracles are proving to you that my messages from God, listen to me, run, turn the person off, ignore them. They are a false prophet. If they're telling you that their miracles authenticate their message, they are lying to you, period. You get it? But that's not the only reason. The apostles are not the only ones who healed people in the New Testament. We see in 1 Corinthians 13 that there are people in the local church who had gifts of healing and miracles. And so let me give you the three other reasons real fast why God does these miracles. That's, that's the one that no longer exists, but these miracles are also an expression of God's love for his people. And this story, God, God just through Peter loves Aeneas, loves the city. He definitely, the, the, the healing of Tabitha, do you see the gracious compassionate love of Jesus for this community of faith and these widows who are hurting and grieving. How in that moment, he, God sends a miracle to just show his love to those people. Do you feel the weight of this bleeding woman who had an issue of blood, of, of like she did not stop her, her womanly cycle 
for years upon years upon years. She touches the hem of Jesus' garment and she is healed. Do you feel the great compassion of Jesus for that woman? It's just beautiful. And, and, and sometimes God heals just to express his love for his people. And sometimes God heals to inspire awe and wonder. For people to, to, to see something beyond themselves. But we got to be careful here. Because what we find in the New Testament is that people would be amazed at Jesus' miracles, but they didn't really want Jesus as their Messiah. And what we find is miracles are never enough to actually cause people to believe. Miracles will lift people's chins to take notice, but they must notice Jesus and see the crucified Christ, and they must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow Jesus to truly be saved. And so we end up with all kinds of people who follow Jesus because he's like a circus. But they do not want to follow Jesus with their whole lives. But Jesus does miracle. And, and in this text, in both cities, people come to believe in Jesus. And so to inspire awe and wonder, and obviously, we, 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 Jesus, the, the performance of miracles are there to glorify God. That God is glorified through miracles. And so what do we do with this? Well, we need to realize that the last three reasons, there is no there's not a single passage in Scripture that would deny that God still heals for those last three reasons. God does not heal anymore to authenticate the messenger, but he still shows his compassion and mercy to people through sometimes healing them. He shows his grace to communities. There is awe and wonder. I know this story is out on the Internet. You can go find it. It happened several years ago of a man who was a preacher whose voice, he had lost his voice and had to leave the ministry he taught a huge Sunday school class at a church, and, and he was teaching on Psalm 103. They have an audio file of this happening where the man talked like this, and they had to put a microphone right to his throat, and you're uncomfortable just hearing me do it for a second, right? And in the middle of Psalm 103, he is reading the text of Psalm 103, doing a Bible study. He gets to the line, the line who says, bless the Lord, O my soul, who heals all of my diseases. He'd had doctors tell him that he had roached his vocal cords. There was no way for them to ever come back. And in the middle of reading the verse, where he read, the Lord who heals my diseases, his voice popped and came back and, and was whole. And he went to a doctor, and the doctor said, you have the vocal cords of an eight-year-old. This makes no sense. The Lord does that stuff. And this was not a guy who was like a charismatic who was believing in healing. He was going to say... Maybe this happens, maybe it doesn't. We praise the Lord, and the Lord healed him in the middle of a Sunday school class while he was being recorded. Happens. And so what do we do with this? Well, James chapter 5, verses 13 through 16 says, Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is any cheerful? Let him sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous person is, has great power as it is working. 
What does it say? What we do is we, when somebody's sick, we pray for them. We get in community groups and we lay hands and we pray for them. We cry out to God to heal them. We trust the Lord with it. And, and then we let the Lord be the Lord. We let Christ be our Savior and King. And if he chooses to heal through supernatural means, hooray. And if he doesn't, there's other ways. And at the end of the day, we trust the Lord no matter what. And you'll say, Mike, have you ever seen this happen? And the answer is absolutely here at Genesis. We saw the Lord. The elders went and prayed over one. One of our elders named Bob who had cancer and we watched the Lord heal him. The, the doctors had given little hope and he is, he's going to Ecuador this week, folks. We have seen it happen here. The Lord still heals. And so what we do, we cry out to God to heal and then we trust him. Second reason, the second way God heals miraculously is he miraculously heals through natural means. Not a lot of time, just let me hit this real quick and make it clear. Paul's doctor is writing this story. Now, let me say that one more time. Paul's doctor, he, he believes in physicians, that, that it is a miracle that God has made your body and mine so that our, our bodies can be healed through medicinal and, and, and through therapies and through exercise and eating healthy and all that kind of stuff, right? And we forget that vaccines and that, that medicines, that these, these things that we can take are part of God's good gift to all of humanity in both our bodies that can be healed through natural means and the fact that God has made us so creative that we can figure this out. No animal is out in the wilderness figuring out how to heal the disease of the other animals. He has made us and that is both, like, it's a miracle that our bodies respond to medicines and that there are people who know how to figure this stuff out. When's the last time you walked out of a doctor's office where they gave you a, per, a way of treatment and you walked out with your hands raised going, Lord, I praise you for my doctor? Right? It's a miracle and it's one of the ways that God heals. And the third way that God heals is, I believe in the miracle, is the miracle of healing through eternal means. And at the end of the story, that, that, that like I said, every healing in this life is temporal and just painting a picture of the final reversal of the fall and the restoration of all things. Tabitha died, was brought back to life, and then died again. But how do we know this is true? Because there is one who died and has already defeated death, hell, and the grave. Christ our Lord was crucified on a tree. He gave up his life and he really died. And three days later, he came back to life and his resurrection was not just a popping out of the grave to die again. Jesus died fully restored and healed and, and, and Jesus came out of that grave and defeated death. He didn't just push it back. He defeated death, hell, the grave forever. Christ is alive. He is seated on a throne as the, as the living Savior and follower of Jesus. Listen, your final resurrection is promised, but it is secure because Christ is risen. You hear that? So, so maybe your health need is healed. Maybe it's healed because the Lord chooses to heal you supernaturally. Maybe it's healed because of medicine and, and because of doctors. And, and maybe, maybe in this life it's not. 
And I still stand here with bold conviction telling you that if Christ chooses not to heal your physical body, if you struggle with mental, emotional struggles, and I, I'm a firm believer that, that, listen, we're integrated wholes, which means mental health professionals are important in our world. If you're hurting, go find somebody. Find a Christian would be helpful, especially if they're, they're helping you process what it looks like to live in this world, but find somebody who could help you work through mental, emotional health struggles. Those are real, and it is part of our whole humanity. Don't be afraid of that. But I know people who struggle their whole lives, and they cry out to God, heal me, heal me, heal me, and it just doesn't quite ever come. And I can stand before you today with bold conviction to tell you that no matter what you are dealing with, if you have trusted in Jesus, Christ will supernaturally heal you. It may be at the resurrection, but that's okay because anything he does in the moment is just for a little while anyway. Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, just kind of closing with this, says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. The resurrection is the promise of ultimate healing, where this body is going to be skinny and good looking again. My knees are not going to hurt. The process of aging and, and the brokenness of the fall will be pushed back, and I will be part of the restored creation where sin and the taint of sin is removed. And this is the hope I offer every one of you today. What should we do with this? Well, first of all, we should pray passionately for people who are sick. It should be part of the rhythms. At the end of every service, we're gonna do something a little bit different here in just a minute. But at the end of every service, I, we, we have a place down here, we say, hey, if you need prayer, here, here's my thought, church family, lovingly you well and, and just saying to you, I think most of us look at that and go, my problems are big enough, I don't really need to go down there. That's for people who have either big issues or need to trust in Jesus. And I think we ought to really, every week, ought to have a set, steady stream of people coming to get prayer. And this morning, we're going to provide an opportunity. If you're here today, here in just a minute, we're going to have some of our elders, some of our prayer team, we're going to have people up here ready to pray with people. Uh, I'm going to give us a second to get that going. We're going to sing this song, and we're just going to have people up here. And if you're hurting, if you're sick, if you're struggling with de depression, if, if your body has an ailment, you'd like somebody to pray for you, we're going to put this text, what we preached on, into practice, and we're going to have a healing service, okay? Don't freak out at it. We'll let the Lord do what he wants, but we're going to pray over people because the Bible tells us how we should respond to this sort of text. Peter walked in a room and he prayed first. And the Lord said, grab her by the hand and lift her up. I don't know what the Lord's going to do in here this morning, but we're just going to be honest and be like when the Lord says, call the elders of the church and pray, we're just going to do that. And, and if you need prayer, please come. And, and then we should live healthfully. I'm hearing this going, oh, I don't want to. I like my ice cream. But, but we should see doctors, and we should put the means of grace that God has given to all humanity to live good, healthy lives and see the restoration and healing that can come from us just living the way and, and using medicines. But, but more importantly, we should trust wholly. Just no matter what the Lord does in our lives, we hold on to him. And so one of these heroes of the faith is the Apostle Paul who heals multiple people. But we're told in 1 Corinthians 12 that he begged God to take a thorn of the flesh from him, and God said no. 
And it was not because Paul did not have enough faith. It's because God said, my grace is sufficient. My power is going to be perfected in your weakness. And here's what Paul said. Paul said, my pain, this struggle, whatever it is I have going on. Some people think he was losing his eyesight. Some people think it's the pain from all the beatings he got. We don't know. But the bottom line of whatever it is, Paul said, I will more gladly rejoice in my suffering and in my weaknesses because I know because of Jesus where I am weak, he will meet me there and make me strong. Paul says, Christ, I asked for healing, Christ said no, and I'm praising him anyway because I know God is good. So if you were healed in this life or not in this life, guess what? God is good, and Christ is sufficient. If you are here today and you have not trusted in Jesus, this prayer time is for you to come experience spiritual healing, to meet Jesus and be rescued and redeemed. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to start, I'm going to pray, and I'm just going to give us a moment of silence. Some of our prayer team, some of our elders and, and, and wives and, like, and if I didn't speak to you before service and you fit that, come on down. And as the band comes up here after our prayer and as there's a moment of silence, please, no matter what it is, if you need prayer this morning, come let us pray with you. Let's make this a holy moment. And trust in Jesus to answer our prayers. Lord, we praise you. You are the healer. You are the God who heals our diseases. That name you gave yourself in Exodus was not just for a moment. It was for your glory and purpose, and you still heal. It may or may not be in this life, but we know you still heal. And so, Lord, the next few minutes, I just pray that you would hear our prayers. Lord, if there's anybody in here who hasn't trusted in you, doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, let this moment be a moment where they come and and just get prayed with and prayed over and that they come to know you and trust you. And, and for people who are here who just, they're hurting, they're sick, they're, they're, they're aching, their hearts are aching, uh, they are wrestling with depression or sadness or addictions, may this be a moment where they come and truly seek the help at the foot of the cross, like we sang earlier. And we praise you no matter the outcome, because you were good to us if you heal us now, And you are good to us if you choose to show us your grace and our weakness. And so we confess our faith and trust in you. In your name I pray. Amen.